Activist Noel joined from Boston. Notice how episode really? two? I know all. <laughs> Notice how episode two there was two people. Episode three there was three people. Real. Four we were four people. We are gonna keep multiplying. <laughs> <laughs> oh. oh my God, Christopher joined. Christopher. Hey, Chrissy. Christopher. Hey, Chrissy, Chris. Okay, let me put everyone. Hey, y'all. We're starting soon. Yep. Said in the comments. Yeah. So you don't know what we're talking about. If you're watching this in the future, that doesn't make any sense. You guys can still comment <laughs> under the post when it's posted, though. It's true. Do that. Maybe we'll respond. We All right, will. let's go. Oh, let's do this. I take it back. We will respond. Hundred <laughs> percent. No exceptions. If you don't get responded to, no, you can. <laughs> Welcome back to this episode of Pokemon. That's me. What are we talking about today, guys? Today, we're talking about the role of youth activists continuing the legacy of activism. First, should we, activism. So, say our names? Like, oh, I put in the chat who we are left names. to right, but we can still say it out. Just no, yeah, let's just say it out. Just over right. right there. Uh, I am, I was about to say I'm Max. I'm Summer. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone's me. This is Max. This is Max. I'm, uh, I'm, I'm Summer. Summer. Pronouns are she, her. No. I'm Archie. <laughs> I pronouns are he, him. <laughs> I'm Carmina. My pronouns are she, her, <laughs> <I can't. laughs> uh, I'm Max, my pronouns are he, they. Cool. Okay. So, I think the biggest reason why we wanted to do this, um, this podcast in general, was that we just had Dolores Huerta come on campus about, I don't know, was it two? It's Luis! <gasps> Luis, join, join the podcast! podcast. We just started. Is there enough space on this side? Uh, yes. I can check. Yeah, check. Join I can check. I can check. Uh, go on that side. Yeah. Yeah, probably on this side. I'll scoot over. Yeah, this is perfect. This works. This works. You can see everyone. You can see everyone. So, we just started the podcast. Our topic is the role of youth activists continuing the legacy of activism. Oh yeah, do you want to introduce yourself real quick? Oh, yeah. Hi everyone, uh, my name is Lisa Kino. I use he, him, ed pronouns. Uh, I'm a fourth year here at SGSU, and I work at Centro, and I'm also the uh, Director of Intercultural Affairs for Associated Students. Woo! So, I was, yeah. I was just saying that one of the reasons why we wanted to talk about this topic was that we just had Dolores Huerta come on campus about two weeks ago. And we've had them in the past, but people were very excited to see them this time around because I think the posters were more clear or something. I don't know what the difference was. But um, Summer and I and a few of our friends, we all had like a little mini couch talk here. And we talked about what it means for someone of Dolores' age to still be fighting the good fight, right? Like still caring about the things that they cared about then and how that has translated into caring about different problems that are in our society now that they may have not always kept at the top of their minds back then. So 
I don't know, what are your guys' thoughts for, we have youth, youth activists, we have like the younger generation, we have people our age, we have people even younger than us, like climate activists like Greta Thunberg, who is very young, but we also have people a bit older, and then we have like the, the OG generation, like Flores Huerta, we have Bobby Seals from Black Panthers. So what does it feel like for them to still be in the circle, I guess? Any thoughts? Yeah, I think it's like really comforting to know again, kind of like that all of the activism is really community centered and community focused, um, and you know, kind of just like this reciprocal process of like you know where they have their mentors and now we have our mentors as well, like within these figures. Um, it's also kind of like sad in the sense that like you know we still have to have like our elders kind of fight these fights for us, mm. like not a lot. Like, while there has been progress and change, um, you know, they still see a very big disparity and that's why they need to continue fighting. Um, so, you know, while there has been change, it hasn't been enough, I think. Yeah, yeah and I think it's like super inspiring to go and watch like Dolores speak about like not even just union or farm workers union rights, but she was talking about uh, women's rights, um, like the right to, to abortions. She was talking about gay marriage. She was talking about her personal life. She was saying how how could her daughter Juanita be forced to have a baby or have a kid when like Dolores wasn't forced to have 11 children. She Like she had 11 kids because she wanted to. Like how can you put that pressure on someone else? And I think that's so beautiful because who knows if she always felt like that or if like, like at least from my personal experience and my family, like I don't know if they've always had those specific beliefs or those progressive beliefs. Like they've evolved and adapted over time. So along with like her fight for, for human rights, she's like, she's advocating for everyone. And it's just so inspiring that her age and her resilience is still so, prevalent and it's just like dang like we got this we're gonna we're all Dolores we're all gonna be Dolores in at her age like that's and that's what's most important like that all of our jobs and we're talking about this earlier but like all of our work always incorporates activism it's always like how are we gonna like yeah advocate for other people but how are we how are we going to talk about it like what are what's the next thing and for who like who is going to be in the spotlight who are we giving the attention to who's gonna like who's gonna benefit from this not just like the traditional white population that's benefiting from but she's just so awesome like she's like a latina women woman up on stage talking about all the things that we believe in, like for years, like that's, that's so powerful. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, and like she's like just one example of something like this. Like I was telling you guys as well, um, I was reading an article for class um, in India, they had a two year sit-in. A women's group did a two year sit-in with the community because of like company damage on the land. So like corporations like Coca-Cola, Pepsi, and Nestle, they were the, they were, they had a dam in like near their tribe. 
and it was polluting the water, all the food, nothing was able to be consumed or drank. Not, they weren't even able to shower in the water because it's full of toxins. And then the companies say that they'll provide free fertilizer or like, you know, compensation, free promise or false promises, but they're never completed. They're just left with the, the damage and like the leftover of corporations, like the pollution that's left mm -hmm. over. And yes, um, at the end, the, the sit-in was successful and they took away the, the dam or the factory, don't remember which one it was, but they didn't compensate, they didn't clean anything, everything was just left. It was like, here you go, this is our activism, we helped you, we, we took away what was causing your harm, what you were protesting for, but in reality, it's like, no, you just came, used us, used the land, used the water, use what is ours, because water is life. Water is not a property, mm -hmm. just like land, like you can't, you can't buy the sky. Mm -hmm. So like, that's what they were saying in this video, like you can't buy the land, like it's, it's for all of us. So by them doing that, they're just polluting. But, um, I think the part of that, of this thing, just going in and yeah. like taking the clean water and then re, and then just putting it in bottles and selling it back to the community. Yeah. And Which like is they, crazy. it's it costs them zero dollars to extract that water to take yeah, it, yeah. and they're making one point eight million a day. Yeah, by taking people's clean water and selling it back to them, and that's that's just one example of greenwashing. Right. Rather like plus like the oil. Yeah, exactly. and that's okay. It's like we are so good. Like we're providing you all of this clean water, where that clean water could have been provided at no expense in the mm -hmm. first place. Mm -hmm. before you take it away from the community. Mm -hmm. And like you said, it's like great that they left, but they're not acknowledging the impacts that their corporation, like the time that they spent there, had on that land. Mm -hmm. That land has been polluted for months and months. It's not the same as when you were right. there before. It's so like it's no activism to just leave it. Exactly, and it's yeah. not enough to just leave. Mm -hmm. It's You're not acknowledging all the damage that you made, and you're not trying to fix they're not, it. Yeah, they're just, they're literally just making it not worse. They're, yeah. just, they're not making yeah. it better, they're just making it not worse. <laughs> exactly. Which is apparently we're enough. <laughs> yeah. Like, we're, we're, we cause damage, but we're not going to cause any more. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. No, sorry. Uh, kind of like on the topic of like greenwashing and activism, kind of like reminded me of like, what you're talking about right now, reminded me of, so this summer I did like some research, um, and I was specifically focusing on like um, indigenous communities in southern Mexico, um, specifically in like five states, like Veracruz, Chiapas, Tabasco, Quintana Roo, and I'm blanking on like the fifth one. Um, basically, there's like this big like mega infrastructure project, uh, El Tren Maya. I'm not sure if any of y'all have heard of it or not. Um, it's there's a lot that has like kind of like a lot of like sketchy stuff that's like going on with it. It's managed by um, the tourism kind of like bureau in Mexico, um, which is already kind of like a red flag. Anyway, um, their whole thing is that they want to connect um, this part, like southern Mexico, to like the rest of Mexico. Um, and even though it's called El Tren Maya, supposedly to kind of um, you know honor the Maya communities within the area, it's like literally killing them. <laughs> um, it's leading to like the deforestation of these states. Um, it's going to interrupt habitats um, and ecosystems that are dependent upon each other. Um, they've like unearthed 
a lot of artifacts, but because they're not managed by like archaeologists or people that that actually know how to like deal with artifacts, like they're kind of just like haphazardly um, documenting them right now and like throwing them back in the ground, um, and that's like really damaging because it's like history, you know. Um, a lot of like Maya communities have been protesting against this. Um, however, like a lot of the leaders have been. Um, in Spanish, it's like desaparecidos or disappeared um, because we don't know exactly like what happens to them. Um, you know, we can only make assumptions, but like a lot of the leaders have been disappeared. Um, and that's just kind of like some of the struggle, you know, it's like this like proposition that like, oh, we're here to like make this better for y'all. And it's like, no, like it doesn't need to be better. You just need to like listen to these communities. Um, a lot know. of the time, like activists are killed. Mm -hmm. For speaking out, like so many people have been getting killed recently, so many women, reporters, because they've been speaking out, because they've been talking about like the different things that have been going on. So it's like a double-edged sword. Mm -hmm. so how do you go from like, speaking about something and then almost being killed? Mm -hmm. I had a friend that... Um, He's an activist and he went to Mexico and he was advocating, he was in a protest and he was he was kidnapped. And it was really devastating and it was really hard, but you know, he's just he's resilient and he's awesome and he made it through and he's okay. But it's it it paused. Okay, yeah. we're we're back on track. Sorry yeah. about that, we're here. Okay. <laughs> I'm gonna go close the door real quick because we're, we're close. But continue. Yeah. So yeah, I was just saying like that is the price I think we have to pay. I don't think that anyone who is a leader can be like I'm gonna die one day. But it's more like yeah, we're all gonna die one day, mm -hmm. right? Like how much can we fit in this one lifetime? I mean also. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. No, I, I think it's like a very that can be a very tough mindset to have, of course. But I don't know, from like human rights leaders to environmental justice, to environmental racism, all of these different topics, like there are people at the forefront. And the more popular they are, they are, the more of a target they become. And there's some people in my head, like Robert F. Kennedy, okay, history thing, it's just like Robert F. Kennedy, like he probably could have won the presidency in 1968, 69, whenever that presidency game was, but he was, shot and killed, assassinated in Los Angeles at, like, at an inauguration. Imagine like someone of that caliber at that level just being assassinated. Like imagine during the 2016 presidential election and Bernie Sanders was just assassinated. It's like, he was getting votes, dude. Like we had bumper stickers and stuff. Imagine if like, like that's what happened. And he was, he was a very pro-human rights person. He talked to Cesar Chavez, talked to a lot of people. But at the same time, like there were negative aspects too, which could definitely bring later that a lot of civil rights activists did have a lot of little flaws of course because they're, they're also human Robert F. Kennedy in specific um, ordered I think the FBI to wire uh, Martin Luther King Jr.'s house and later black blackmailed them with information and stuff like that but like where where, where is that line drawn you know like we want liberation for all these people with all the different things, but if it's putting your own life on the line, like where do we stand on, you can kill the leader, but you can't kill the movement. Mm -hmm. so, but that's what I feel like, I feel like that's what really ties us back to the importance of legacy. 
mm -hmm. of continuing to fight for the movement mm -hmm. and youth activists stepping mm -hmm. in. Because like you said, you can kill the leader, but you can't kill the movement. Well, but if you no one else is doing anything, then the movement can eventually die out. Mm -hmm. But that's exactly why we need youth activists to step in. Right. And not in a sense to step in to sacrifice their life. Um, because again, no one no one is like wishing for it that sense. Yeah, no one should have to die. Right. No one should have it's to die. It's not a sacrificial thing. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, yeah, that was just my it's thought. Like, that's why we are fighting. Because people are getting killed every day. Like, because of police brutality, because there's no human rights, or like basic human rights. Yeah. Like, On that note, really quick. Uh, when the UN did a uh, vote for food as a human right, only one country voted no, and it was the United, United States. States. Yeah. Every other country on the planet <laughs> said food is a human right, except for the United States. But how is that a no? <laughs> I mean, uh, capitalism loves making scarcity a thing. They love selling you the solution to the problem that they create. Uh, yeah. And it's not even a real solution, it's a band-aid solution, you know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, yeah. Kind of like what we were talking about with Nestle. Pretty yeah. much taking, yeah. taking right. their clean water and exactly. selling it back to them. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's that's the core of capitalism, well, is creating is, scarcity so that they can sell you something, you know? It's scary to live in a country that doesn't consider human right, though. Like, to me, that... that yeah. I mean, if we, if we go back to what happened in uh, March of 2020, like, or those first six months of the pandemic, mm -hmm. what happened? Scarcity was created so that they could bump up the prices, and they're doing it now with oil, too, with Absolutely. gas, you know? Absolutely. They're artificially raising the prices. When you, if you look at it, like, that whole oil crisis thing was over. It ended very quickly, but they took the opportunity to increase the prices and force us to pay more for the thing that we literally don't have a choice. Like, we need it, because yeah. we have built our entire society around uh, cars and, and gas, yeah. plastics yeah. and whatnot. Yeah. And now the, now stock is, out. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's really messed up. You know, like when was the last time you heard about um, people fighting against the oil pipelines? You know, like it's been a little bit. It's been a minute. It's been a while. It's been a like, little bit. That's yeah. another thing is it's like the news cycle makes sure to not keep you updated mm -hmm. on activists. You know, like we only hear about a handful of them. You know, when there's like a ton of people doing stuff all the time, and we don't hear about that. We we actively have to search for it. So that's another way that they keep it down. It's like you know what you're talking about, like legacy. Okay, this is just my personal opinion. I feel like the news doesn't really cover on anything unless it impacts everybody. And everybody who's white. So if they're not impacted, you're not hearing about it. Uh, personal opinion, not facts. Yeah, you know, because like I have heard of a recent pipeline protest because like that's a part of my community. Mm -hmm. Like because it's I live closer to the border because. There's literally the Kumeyaay Reservation right there. The border is built. The ugly wall it goes right goes through, right through yeah. Kumeyaay tribes. Like, people are protesting every day. They're out there. Exactly. They're just building around them. They're there. And no one is... is Most Americans don't know that that's out. happening. Right. I didn't know that was and happening. Exactly. Like, that's how messed up it is. That's why it's important to... Uh, you know, seek out resources that keep you updated on stuff that's happening, not just like the conventional news cycles that, that only keep you updated on stuff that only affects the <laughs> Western world, and by Western world, it's Europe and America and yeah. you know, occasionally China and Japan. Exactly. You know. So I want to take exactly what you just said. I want to take that and I'm going to turn it into a question. 
regarding the media, regarding the news, regarding what you thought, what you just said. Oh my God, he's gonna tie it all together. Here we go. Omar, you ready for I have a simple question. I want to hear everyone's opinion. We can go in whatever order. Okay. If you don't want to talk, that's fine. Like, anyway, are politicians activists? No. No. Not even a little bit. Why not? I agree with you. Of course, I'm not moderating this. But like, why are polit Why is why can we consider Joe Biden not an activist or any politician not an activist? What separates a a, a genuine activist? Where it's social media, where it's physical, they're on the front lines, whatever it is, someone who constantly speaks out and is challenging the status quo, a whistleblower, whatever it is. How can we differentiate them between a politician who says they're doing good? I think it comes from a disconnect with the community. Mm -hmm. You look at all the people who are in power, they're not in connection with the community that they're serving. Yeah. Um, and I feel like it also dates back to who is in power. If you want to be in power, even if you are not a white male, you have to adhere to certain, to their ideologies because they're the ones who are putting you in power. So it really goes back to who is in power because they're the ones who are going to get you on there. And this whole idea of like, could you be voting for you? It only goes so, so, so long. You know what I mean? I'm going to go back to like, even just associating students here, like with, um, I don't know if I want to bring it up, but somebody got elected and they won votes. And then they were taken out of their position, and it was over like a petty reason. But he was voted on there by the community, but you know, something happened, and the other person won the vote. Mm -hmm. So you see, even just in like our student government on campus, and I feel like you could see that in, re in reflection too. And to, and to add to that, it's important for if you get put into that position where the system you you are actively playing their rules and you win but they change the rules just to beat you the same situation happened uh like 15 years ago and or even more it was that's the whole reason that this center got created was because mm -hmm. an election happened they won fair and square and then they changed they accused them of cheating or uh, tried to discredit them in any way that they could and the entire student body protested against it, and the person who rightfully won got elected. And that was thanks in part to Mosaic. That was why it got created because of the inequality that certain students face. You know, even even in so it's important if you are in any of those positions to reach out to your resources to let the community know so that they can support you in the situation. You know, because if you leave it up to the system, the system's not going to help you at all. Especially here, we can. All, I mean, students of this. Um, this uh, institution can attest to the to the fact that um, we do not receive enough support to be successful students. You know, whether it be advising or whether it be um, you know uh, mental health resources on campus like CAPS. And this does go a little bit off your, your yeah, question. So I'm going to continue continue off what you build upon and then give everyone else an answer yeah. to respond. I've, uh, I've actually had an opportunity to speak with our um, VP of Finances, the head of the police department, mm -hmm. and they literally, we asked them a question about housing issues. Mm, um, it's a huge issue, what can students, what can the institution do to help students get housing, affordable housing, so that they can pursue their degree. It's part of the institution, you're helping, you're doing everything that you can to help the student get that degree, right? Supposedly. Um, they said they literally made an equation out of it. 
Um, they did not account for all of the complexities that come with being a student, just being a human being. Yeah, and they literally said, well, it's all about opportunity cost. If you want to be, if you want to live somewhere safe, if you want to live somewhere um, pretty much that like has the amenities that you need, then take out a loan. But if you would rather couch surf, that's your choice. And so they did not really offer any type of assistance. They literally treated it as an, they literally just said, oh, it's all about opportunity cost and your choice and what works best for you. Um, and that is just one example of disconnect. You can't treat someone's life like an equation. There's not two or three factors. There's over hundreds in the count. Millions. Millions that counter and factor into it. And it, what it really sounds like is just dismissing and not believing the students. Students want to be here. Students want to get an education. Yeah. But you're setting barriers for them not to get an education. Yeah. Arbitrary and barriers, so, too. Not even exactly. Completely arbitrary. Yeah. Absolutely. Sorry. So, sorry. You know, sorry. No. No, no, no. Finish your no. sentence. I was just sorry. saying. <laughs> that's all I want to say. Yeah. I, that's okay. all I want to say. To add on but, to your yeah. point. Yeah. So I'm also an SSL at Centro. Um, and this person allowed me to kind of like talk about what they've been going through. Um, and it hasn't just been one person, but um, essentially students have been getting like eviction notices from university housing. Um, like the, the people included. in the dorms? The yeah, in the dorms. included. Yeah. What? included. Okay. Um, yeah, sorry. No, no, no. I mean, I can speak on my personal experience. Um, my financial, I have a financial aid hold. Like my, like I, so I cover my housing with scholarships. So housing is like, you're not paying us. I'm like, the school has my money. It's a scholarship, mm. right? And so I'm trying to be in contact with financial aid, be like, why would you guys, would you, why guys would you, why won't you disperse my scholarship? We know, like, I know you have it. And it's a long story, but pretty much because my financial aid and my scholarships aren't being dispersed, housing is like, if you don't pay soon, we're gonna evict you. And that's like, take it up with financial aid. Yeah, like so you, it, that even just shows just disconnect between like school departments, but that's a whole other topic of its own. Um, but yeah, continue what you were talking about. Oh no, I was just yeah. Like students have been getting like eviction notices, and then when they heard that, I was like, wait, like isn't like the school like actively trying to like combat like student homeless populations? Um, you know, and it was just kind of like hearing. I hadn't heard about this before, and I didn't even know that the university could issue like eviction notices. Specifically because people are always like, oh, like just go to the SGC CARES office and like they'll help you find housing. Um, and like the student um, didn't know that they don't help you unless you don't live on campus. So like if you live on campus, there's no resources available to you. Um, so you're kind of like on your what? own. Yeah. And CARES or SGC CARES is only catering to students who are off campus or uh, students who are don't currently have like housing yeah um, sorry can I can I add yeah, that yeah. Quick? we had a friend who be as specific like don't yeah. Yeah, we, no. yeah we had a friend who was looking for housing um, because of their situation you know they didn't really have that opportunity so we were like oh go to SGSU cares that was our first thought like they should be able to help you with housing housing and they were staying on our couch at the time because you know I try to let my couch be a place for people if they need uh, you know like I let Archer here stay when he was needed to come up briefly. Uh, so I was letting this person stay on the couch and they, when when they went to SJSU Cares, they literally told them like, oh, we can, we're not gonna give you housing, you can just stay on the couch. 
They literally were like, they told them, oh, you're couch surfing, like, we don't have to give you housing. You literally have to be no options. I was like, excuse me? Like, that's that, and, and then even then, when they were, when they uh, told, when they told SJSU Cares that, oh yeah, they're not gonna let us on the couch anymore, they gave them one week in like a temporary housing, one week. You're expected to be able to find housing in a week. Like, so SJSU Cares does nothing. It does not, and, and if you're couch surfing, you're apparently, not, yeah, you are housing. Right. Yeah. And then if you're not receiving those they, financial aids, exactly. like, and you're living off campus, there's not going to be an eviction notice. You're just exactly. going to be on the street. And they they lag, but it's not even a lag. It's like they they provide no assistance or no reassurance like when you're going to get that money, when it's going to happen. Yeah. Like they just let you keep going. You can make as many call the day as you want. Yeah. They'll tell you the same thing every time. We're looking at your thing, like, and I understand, like, it's not just one person. It's not. It's a system. Like, it's a system issue. It's oh, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Like, they lack, they drag your feet on everything. Yeah. Um, they try to push it so that you'll stop asking. You'll stop mm -hmm. calling. Okay, yeah, they figured it out. They're good. Like, yeah. I mean, that's why it's important to advocate for yourself. Not in the sense that, like, you have to be the only person advocating for yourself, but don't keep it to yourself. Like, Absolutely. tell everyone that you can. Make sure, you know, if you can't advocate for yourself, find someone who can advocate for you because they're all, there's always going to be those people. There's going to be someone who can help them. Just and make sure it's on record. Like, that's yeah, on I've record learned, too. Mm -hmm. Like, throughout my four years in San Jose State University, if something, it may not help you now, but if someone else in the future has a similar issue, at least they can go back to their records and be like, you know what, this is not the first time this has happened. Yeah. This is a recurring issue. And I think that gives them like an um, motivation to really address it. Because what's what happens a lot is sometimes you advocate for yourself and they make it seem like it's a you problem. Mm -hmm. They make it seem mm -hmm. like it's a personal issue, but yeah. it's you not personal issue. Yeah. yeah, like you messed up, it's your fault. This is a unique circumstance. But in reality, it's not that unique. And so, just always make sure that something is reported, even yeah. though it sucks that sometimes it's not going to happen immediately and there's mm -hmm. not going to be that issue, but at least that's a way that you are having a legacy for other students to advocate in the future. And hopefully, if you can get housing, they can get housing in the yeah. future. And just to, it's important to make sure that people know that this situation isn't just happening to them. Because mm -hmm. what's ever happening to you has happened to someone else. Absolutely. Happened to 100 people, 1,000 people before, and it's probably going to happen to more people. So the more people that understand that this is an issue, like some are saying, you know, the quicker it will be resolved, and or at least a solution will be guided towards. I think they bring up an important point, saying that you don't always need like an existing movement for you to be like, mm -hmm. or, like always be your own advocate, right? Yeah. Like be an activist for yourself, right? We fight for these things, and we fight these systems, we fight SJs who cares, and we fight all this different stuff, because we know what's right for us. Mm -hmm. And we know that what's right for us should be right for a lot of people. For everyone. For everyone. Yeah. It's not just us. Mm -hmm. That's like a very progressive mindset, too. It's not because it doesn't happen to me, so I don't care. It's yeah. just that it may not happen to me, but it happens to other people, and I don't want it to happen to that people. Mm -hmm. That's what makes people like this take on this leader role. Yeah. So I think that it's kind of important to sort of like affirm ourselves that, yeah, we're all activists in like the much bigger context but yeah like human rights yeah uh, students against unhoused or like students for housing students for quality education quality education all this stuff right it's all so important but all of that comes down because we live in this society and it happens in our society in our, in our community in our community unfortunately all this stuff happens on the earth and unfortunately we are one of the idiots we're all idiots who inhabit this earth so we all have to put up with it right mm -hmm. 
So I think all of it just comes down to how can we like make it better for ourselves and but before we do it for ourselves, how can we make it for other better for other people? And how can we implement something that makes it better for people for the future so they don't have to suffer the way we did? Right? Mm -hmm. I feel like the reason why a lot of leaders become leaders is because they felt some injustice in the past. And said, I didn't like that, so I'm gonna front this one thing and we're gonna make sure no other person has to feel that way. Mm -hmm. So I think that's what makes to tie back to the first thing I introduced, why what makes people a target. It's yeah. like, oh, they're, they're bringing rigorous change, right? And America hates change. Mm -hmm. Anything that ch challenges that status quo, they hate it. Mm -hmm. That's why we had so many counterintelligence programs trying to disarm and ruin like hundreds of organizations across yeah. the US. So, yeah, just attempt to tie back to the points we were getting earlier. I mean, yeah, okay. No, I was, I was like, gonna say it's important to be an activist. Oh, yeah. no, okay. Yeah. I just really quick, I wanted to say that um, I think it's important to understand that people who are not like you will still need help. People not in your community. Because, like, we're in America, we're very privileged. Even, even the stuff we're talking about right now, yeah. these are real issues, these are important issues. But these are pretty cushy issues compared to, like, you jump, like, to half the globe, like, they have, they are struggling. You know, there's significantly worse issues, and it's maybe hard for us to initially uh, relate to that and figure out how to support that. And I think that's something that, like, going back to why it's impressive that at the age of 90, she's 92, right? Dolores Huerta? 93, okay. That's why it's important that and impressive that at that age, she's still radically progressive, because it is very easy as you get older to disconnect. You know, it's the same reason that, like, most politicians probably don't know the price of rent. Mm -hmm. You know, they can't connect to the community mm -hmm. because they've been disconnected from the community. Maybe when they were younger, you know, you go look at uh, Bernie Sanders, for example. He was super progressive. He was in the he was in a bunch of protests back in like the sixties. Got arrested too. He got the arrested too. Is that a famous picture of him getting arrested? Right. But nowadays, like, is he still involved with that community? You know, I think yeah. he almost is, but he's obviously very old. He's disconnected. It's easy for that to happen. You know, you look at a lot of progressives from the 70s, a lot of radical progressives from the 70s, now they're super transphobic. That's how you get Turks. Trans-exclusionary radical feminists. You know, it's it's super easy to become that. So it's an active, you have to actively be thinking, am I making the right choice? And is this an empathetic choice that helps other people? Or does so it just help the community? How they become Turks? Yeah, uh, yeah if I know. Um, basically, Feminists from the 70s would be super progressive for feminist rights. It's the same thing that happened in the um, 1800s with um, the early feminist movements. Uh, and they, when black men got the uh, right to vote, a large portion of them went and joined members of like, they joined the Ku Klux Klan? Or, yeah. You know, yeah. it's, this, it's, it's the same thing happening again. But this time, instead of joining a racist group, they became they focused on a new minority to get angry at, which is um, trans people in this case. You know, like a super prominent turf is J.K. Rowling, mm -hmm. who's like all about feminist rights and caring about making lives better for women, but not all women. Mm -hmm. You know, only women that they deem uh, good women or good enough. Yeah. You know what I mean? So, which is and, and that, to take it even further, it's not just any women. It's Specifically white women. Yeah. Specifically white women that meet their standard. You know what I mean? Specifically people that look like them. Specifically yeah. people that look like them. So it's easy. So that's the thing that's like why it's impressive that these super old, yeah. um, super old activists are still actually being activists and not just 
being like, well, I was an activist in the 70s, like all the hippies that are not, that are now conservative mm -hmm. voters and they couldn't care less about other human beings. When they were like our age, they were super progressive, they were super expressive, mm -hmm. you know, in every way. So. Yeah, and I think, like, similarly, Alejandra Ocasio, she's doing, she's involved with the community. She knows her people, like, she knows what they need. She's advocating for medical assistance, for housing, for food assurance, assistance. Because she's involved, because she's communicating with people, like, what do you need? So I feel like that's, that's like Dolores, like, it's being involved. That's what big activism is, like, talking to your people. And Dolores was saying that too, like, before the farm workers union, she, her and Cesar Chavez were already going to people's doors, they were already asking them, like, you know, to come out to join the, the fight. So it's like, that's what, I think that's a per so we have about 10 minutes left. I think that's a perfect segue into this next topic we can talk about for like next 10 10 minutes. We talked about it earlier. I'm just going to include it now, uh, performative activism, uh, doing stuff because you think it's a trend, or you think it's cool, or you want to fit in, and a number of consequences, one, not knowing what you're really talking about. Spreading <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> misinformation. Do you want to bring up a prominent example of performative activism? I'll bring up a very prominent form of ex uh, performative activism that I observed, just to get the conversation rolling, of course. Um, I noticed this two years ago. It began two years ago around 2020, 2021, it was the Blackout Tuesday thing on Instagram where everyone posted black squares on Instagram during um, Black Lives Matter hashtag was at the top, trending on all social medias for a long time. And everyone posted black squares saying Blackout Tuesday. Blackout, everyone, everyone posted yeah. Blackout Tuesday. And at the end of the day, what is that really doing? What, what is that doing for the black community? There's like, it's not, it's not signing a petition which people can argue doesn't really do much. So other people say it really does much. Either way, you're posting something and it's not really changing the world, right? Mm -hmm. Sure, a large number of people in the streets holding signs, as we have seen, can very easily change congressional decisions or sway public, sway public opinion. And that's very important in political science. But for everyone to just post a black square and be like, you know, it, it proves to other people you're an ally, but why do why should people have to prove they're an ally? I was actually about to I was actually about to address that right now. I felt like a lot of people that I saw there were several people who posted only a black square. Like nothing else. Nothing the rest of the days or the days prior. They just saw an easy way that they could post something and hop down and that was it. And fit in. Um fit in. Yes. So I felt like it was really based off social pressure. Mm -hmm. And I like the part where this. like that's the only thing you're doing. Exactly, like that's yeah. all you're doing, right? Yeah. So it was really so just out of a place. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. So it's like you're not you're not sharing anything else that's informational. You're not going out to the streets protesting, signing petitions. That's all you did was post a square, and it really comes out of social pressure. Mm -hmm. um, because I think a lot of people are using, try to use activism as an aesthetic, mm -hmm. 
of, oh my god, yeah. look at me, like, I'm so in the progressive. <laughs> yeah, people who literally have photo shoots in protest. That's, yeah, that's the one mm -hmm. I was talking about earlier. Mm -hmm. I think it was like a Kardashian or someone, right? They just posted the, the fist up, little sign, took the picture, they walked yeah. off. And then like they people. just walked away. It's like, what is, okay, what, why are you doing this, right? Mm -hmm. Like, you have a big platform. You ha yeah, you are privileged enough to have one of the biggest platforms in the world, right? I think people like, with big platforms are afraid, though. They're afraid of sharing the wrong thing, and they're afraid of backlash, and they're afraid to make a political statement, because when you have a big platform, you also have a big array of people with differing um, uh, opinions that are following you. Mm -hmm. And so you don't want to upset anybody, and you need to also understand that their platform is their way of making money. Yeah, I, like who's there? So, mm -hmm. Who's watching? Right? Exactly. Are they so, gonna like that? Like, are they gonna like yeah. that, or am I? Well, it's not as if she was not making rent, but am I gonna like make a lot less money this month because of this particular post? Yeah, it's really all PR for them. And so, honestly, when it comes to people with big platforms, I don't even like. Like, if it's like, it depends on what your role is. But if you're an artist, you're a singer. Like, if you want to post about it, sure, but. If you don't, it's whatever. Like, yeah. I understand that there are a lot of issues in the world, and when you don't post about one, people are going to get mad that you don't post about the other or the other, or they're going to feel attacked or feel some type of way. So, at that point, just use your platform however way that you please, but we shouldn't, we don't necessarily have to pressure artists to become activists. Right. Because um, I feel like, like I said before, a lot of the activism is that it comes from social pressure. I think it's also important to notice, to bring up what that performance activism actually did, like to the hashtag. Right. Oh, yeah, right, right, right. I, it's I, a very important I, I forgot about that point, yeah. So what it did was, the goal was to post, I think, I don't remember this explicitly, but I think the goal was to post a black square with the hashtag Blackout Tuesday, right? And the idea was that, honestly, I don't know what would, Blackout Tuesday would be full of it. it was just obviously like I endless black squares. Let me take it back because I think yeah. I think I know what you're referring to. I think some people did not post Blackout Tuesday. Some people put the square and they put Black B Lives H M or Black Lives Matter. Yeah, that's the yeah, um, yeah, yeah. And what that ended up doing is when you clicked on Black Lives Matter, if you wanted to learn more about the topic, all you mm -hmm. saw was a bunch of black squares. Exactly. All the mm -hmm. informational topic was pushed to the bottom, or it was just like. And there were millions of black squares that you had to go by to get to any genuine valuable anything, content. Yeah, anything valuable. So I think that's what you were addressing. Yeah. That's, yeah. Right. And that's what made the whole thing just... Harmful. It's harmful, but at the same time, it was slightly like, what are you doing? Like, in the beginning, like, what is this black square actually doing? Mm -hmm. And even if you see nothing wrong with that, and you put the black square, and you put hashtag Black Lives Matter, and there were people flooding in the comments like, oh, please use the other hashtag. It's like, wow, you really don't know, right? It's not like yeah. you already don't know. It's just that here's this thing we gave you. You can make yourself feel good about it. You can show off to all your friends that activism has, is an aesthetic and stuff like that. But I just, I, and I remember, I remember so clearly on certain people's Instagrams, they had the black square and it said, hashtag Blackout Tuesday and in parentheses edited. Like you can tell they put in Black Lives Matter. They deleted comments that told them to change the hashtag. Like what? How is this different than actually, like obviously it's different, but why do people do like the bare minimum, right? Because if they, they want, If they want change, 
then they should actually enact change yeah. instead of doing the bare minimum, which doesn't do much. It's, it's not the bare minimum. It's, it's like a Darwin it's, it's, it's thing. It's the opposite. It filters like, out it's the people. actively harmful. Yeah. But you they know. don't acknowledge that. Yeah, exactly. That's the thing. That's... For some people, I think that it's like, not the black square, but maybe posting is like the, the all they can do. And it's like, that's my limit. All I can do is share right now. I can't go out and protest or, you know, like, there's going, stuff going on in my family, you know, yourself, you have a lot of work. I can't go out and protest or I can't go to these workshops or mm -hmm. whatever. So I can only reshare. That's different. I agree. Resharing yeah. and educating, I think, is very different because you can always go back and look at that stuff. Or you can, like, even if it impacts one person. Because I know that I see posts and I'm like, oh, yeah, that one. And I go and save it. And I'm like, dang, I wonder if like I'm the only one that went and saved it. Probably not. Yeah. Like everyone goes and saves it because if they saw it. But um, hold on, let's go. <laughs> I know what you mean. Uh, I, I think you were. You were you yeah, it was yeah. like um, like oh yeah, yeah. Okay, so there's like that's the only thing that you can do, right? But then for some people, it's like that's a privilege. Like that's all. That's not all you can do. Like you, you have the privilege of speaking out and not getting the backlash or not. You Like I, I don't truly believe in like Instagram, like how like sliding PowerPoint activism. But at the end of the day, like yeah. there's good, there are resources out there. There, there is good content. There is information for those who seek it, right? If you want to look for something, you will find it on Instagram, and that is like, a, like for anything, literally anything, yeah. you will find an answer for it on Instagram. Not even social justice related. I think there's a big difference between posting something like a black square and saying like, hey, I'm in solidarity. Look at me. And then being like, oh, I'm in solidarity. Here's 50 other things you can do about it. And mm -hmm. here's some actual links to resources. I remember someone in uh, Southern California made this massive like Google Excel spreadsheet with like like hundreds of black-owned businesses. Mm -hmm. Like hundred, like I was scrolling like nine point like nine 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 like page two. Mm -hmm. and there was like a bunch of bakeries, even random Seven Elevens. Like yeah, they're chains, but they're black-owned. Mm -hmm. And like there are people who run these restaurants. Like support them. Mm -hmm. And even just by sharing that, like, yeah, you don't have to compile to the list, but that is, that is something, right? Yeah. And like, 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 like someone will look at it, maybe someone will like, see it. Yeah, and that's all it takes, all it takes is one person, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Like you don't need a bunch of people to be like, oh my gosh, like 
our Lord and Savior posted yeah, yeah, again. Yeah, Let's yeah, see what yeah. they said. If you can get one person to change their mind, then you did it. Because if you didn't do what you were doing in that moment, you did not capture their attention, right? Mm -hmm. If you're out on the street holding a massive sign that says, I, or like, I love you like I did a while ago, right? People obviously saw my sign. They saw someone standing right in the middle of 7th Street, saw me holding a big sign that said, I love you, and they looked up. And it's not like, oh, they looked at it, and they batted, and I didn't really care. But it's because I was occupying that space at that time with the sign held at this specific angle that people even remotely looked in that direction. Mm -hmm. And by capturing their attention, that's what we can all do with social media, like by the stuff we, we share, right? We all have to just stand in the middle of the road and hold that sign up, and hopefully people will look at it. Some people will engage. Some people won't care and will slide and see what their friends are doing that weekend. Like that's that's cool. There's no standard to be met. But I think there are ways to do it and there's ways not to do it. And some are more harmful and some are very productive. But I think we can all sort of, it's a very person by person thing. We can all stand in that road with that sign. We can all stand on the road. Yeah. Also, moments that change happen slowly. Yeah. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Kind of like what you said, it really just reminds of, reminds me of the fact that change happens really slowly and you have to be aware of that when you are doing activism. Don't expect immediate results. Just, just appreciate the small ones. Cool. That was good. Not bad. <laughs> Did you good? That was fun. That was good. Any other comments, questions? Hello, hello. Did anyone comment? Did anyone say anything? We had a lot of viewers. I don't think we got any questions, though. That's okay. Well, we hope you guys enjoyed this episode of episode four. Um, episode four. Yeah. About the role of youth legacy. Thank you guys for tuning in and tune in next week again, yes. Friday, four thirty, for another podcast episode. Um, yeah, topic TBD. Mm. Um, might be Halloween related. Might not. If you feel very strongly about that, shoot us a message. Yes. Comment. Like, let us know within the next week if you're very in, if you're very passionate about either unions or uh, Halloween. Yeah. Like yeah. Two separate things. Two separate things. Two very things. separate things, but two things that we are... Potentials. Yes. But yes, we are very excited. Thank you guys for joining us. And all comments, questions, concerns, drop it in the chat. Bye. 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 Listen, listen carefully.